Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. It's all creative. Yes, it is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, a free writing magazine on the internet, articles on writing. You know, to write a bit of the business of writing, but also on the writing life, just what it means to be a writer. What it means to get up and face the blank page. You get articles every month. Of course, my tri-weekly blog. I also put that up there where I write about anything having to do with the creative life at all. Anything at all. It's all there. But I also do video interviews with uh, best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. All kind. Right now, my interview with the one and only Donald Moss, literary agent, but also author of writing the breakout novel, the emotional craft of fiction, fire and fiction. Don has a lot to say about the publishing world, about the business of publishing, about how about marketing of uh, fiction, and also just what makes fiction awesome and what doesn't. And well, anyway, he's an interesting guy. He's thought a lot about writing and books and fiction and conversation right now on Author Magazine. So go check it out at authormagazine.org. We're also funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These good people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. So I mentioned last week, I'm going to mention it again. They're offering something now called the Leap of Faith because they have a conference every year. It's in September. It's a long way away, isn't it? But some of you, you already know you're going to that conference. You just know it. You just got it marked off on your calendar. If you're going to go, just take the Leap of Faith. Do it now. You get it for 100 bucks. I think you get 100 bucks off the cost of the conference. That's a lot. Plus, you get an extra pitch block. Yes, you do. If you know you're going to be there, it doesn't we're going to have good agents, you know that. We're going to have good editors, you know that too. So if you're going to do it, if you know you want to go, just do it now. Get in right now. Take the leap of faith. Believe in yourself. That's right. That's uh, P. That's at the that's the conference. PNWA.org. PNWA.org. You can learn all about it. Yes, indeedy, people. Well, anything going on with Bill? No, not really. It's, it's just it's quiet time. It's quiet time now. Just waiting. Wait. I've got some news. We're waiting. I don't know. I hope to be able to tell you something good. Uh, you know how it is with writers. If I do, if some, some good news comes down, I'll tell you guys all about it. But we're still waiting. We're in a waiting phase right now. That's all I'm going to say. It's probably more than I should have said. But that's what I'm going to say. But that's not but eh, Enough about me. Enough about me. Let's talk about Matt Coyle, today's guest. Matt is the author of the best-selling Rick Cahill Crime novels. He knew he wanted to be a crime writer when he was only 14, and his father gave him The Simple Art of Murder by Raymond Chandler. Good place to start. His foray uh, into crime fiction, however, was delayed for 30 years as he spent managing a restaurant, selling golf clubs for various golf companies, and in national sales for a sports licensing company. Writing at night for over a decade, his debut novel, Yesterday's Echo, was finally published in 2013. The wait was almost worth it, as it won the Anthony Award for Best First Novel, the San Diego Book Award for Best Mystery, and the Ben Franklin Award for Best New Voice in Fiction. He has gone on to publish five other novels in the series, including the upcoming Lost Tomorrows, which will be coming out December 3rd. Mark that on your calendar Oh, where are you? There you are, Matt. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Well, it's good to have you on. Uh, congratulations. Number Book number six is going to be hitting the shelves soon. you got to be uh, kind of excited about that, yeah? Absolutely. I'm always excited. Always excited when I get the, you know, your first box of books. Has that happened yet? So have they come? Comes out. Yeah, I got the first, got the first box and uh looks pretty good. Yeah, I'm excited about yeah. this one. Yeah. You like that you like that smell when you open the box, that new book smell. It's like getting in a new car, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And so here you are. You just got your of books, your sixth book, but Oh, man. At one point in time, well, let's see. Let's back up. Let's back up. I was going to say at one point in time, it might have looked like this would never happen, but let's go back before that. So you're 14 years old, and your dad, your dad gives you the simple art of murder. What prompted him to give you that book of all things? Do you know? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm not sure if I ever asked him, um, but I'm sure glad he did. Uh, you know, he was a, he was a, I think he wanted to write too, but never did. Uh, and that, as a matter yeah. of fact, my, my great aunt uh, was Mary Chase, who wrote uh, Harvey, uh, about the six foot. No rabbit. way! Get yeah. out! Yeah. I, okay, I heard a, a legend about her that she rewrote that thing about 45 times. Is that true? I don't know about that, actually. Probably. I do know that, uh, you know, she's Irish, like my dad. And uh, <laughs> so the only, only couple times that I met her... Um, she seemed pretty happy. The Irish, they like the alcohol. So uh, now I understand where the uh, where the story may have come from about a six foot invisible rabbit. Oh, that's but a great I, story. Doing some doing some research on that. When somebody asked me something unusual, you know, an interview, they asked me something unusual about me, and I it was a it was a you know when you get the questions ahead of time interview. So I yeah. just looked up. Of course, I knew that, but I looked it up, and uh, she actually won the Pulitzer for that. She did. She won a Pulitzer. Yeah, about a Pulitzer uh, in a play about a six-foot invisible rabbit. So, um, well, that well, it was a play, wasn't it, or was it a book? Was it a yeah, play? It was a play first. Right. And then it was, well, uh, it was Jimmy, more Jimmy than Stewart, a rabbit. Uh, yeah. Oh well, Jimmy Stewart yeah. just was perfect. Well, that's so interesting because uh, I love that movie. Love it. Uh, I love Jimmy Stewart. So, okay, so you yeah. got it in your blood. You got it in your blood a little mm-hmm. bit. The Irish are storytellers. But the simple art of murder—that's an interesting choice. It wasn't the Hobbit. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Um, you know, something by uh, science fiction. No, it's it's the simple art, and it turns you on right away. You thought this, there's something about this. What about it? Got your blood going. I just think the uh, you know Chandler's um, the knight, the shine, the, the maybe not quite so shining uh, the knight in shining armor, but. The man who lives by his own code, trying to solve problems, that always appealed to me. And, of course, once I started getting into his novels, uh, Philip Marlowe, I, I really, that really made sense to me. I, when I was younger, I read uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In fact, I'm looking at the book right now my brother gave me when I was, I don't know how old it was, maybe 10 or 12. It was uh, an anthology of all of uh, Holmes's Holmes, all of Don- uh, Doyle's stories. So yeah. I like, you know, they were all each about seven or eight pages, I think. So I, and I also used to read Agatha Christie. So I think at that age, I like oh. the idea, you know, they're pretty black and white. There's, there's bad guy and then the good guy's going to solve the crime. So I liked that idea. And it was all sure. a puzzle that could be fixed, you know, be um, told in a certain amount of pages. I like that idea. As I got older, I liked the idea of uh, maybe a slightly tarnished knight yeah. trying to solve crimes on his, on his own terms. That's how Rick right. came about. 
Yeah, the uh, yeah, the interesting thing about crime fiction is it has the puzzle aspect to it, and it has the sort of you know you've got usually the crime novel has a someone who's killed somebody else, and so you have a kind of clear villain in this one way. But it it always struck me that crime fiction allows for the writer to delve in if they want into sort of human nature, into into our psychology a little bit about because I've always thought. I'd be interested to hear your take on this, that mysteries or crime fiction are not usually really a whodunit as a why done it. Would you say that? Like that it's the motivation is far more is usually kind of more interesting than simply the fact that someone's murdered someone. Would you agree with that or not? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, for me, the best crime's that way. And it's not just, uh, it doesn't end with the why done it. It ends with the repercussions of uh, after it's done, what it does to everybody involved, including the killer. Right. Um, that's always appealed to me. You know, you got the, you got the family, uh, people left behind. Uh, you have, a, obviously, the worst thing happening was the guy that was killed. But you have the right. police or some investigative agency trying to uh, solve the crime, what they go through trying to solve it. And even the killer, how he's he or she is affected. Right. Yeah. Now, I know how I would be because I'm a little lazy in this regard. And if I were to write crime fiction, my research for it would be just to read a lot of crime fiction. But I know that most crime writers, they actually try to learn a bit about the world of police and detectives. And and when you decided that, well, actually, let's say, when did you tell yourself, okay, I actually want to do I'm not I actually want to try to made that decision. Uh, you know, the, the last question you asked me, I was completely broken up. I, I got an uh, audio problem. Well, I'll ask it again. I hope you can hear it this time. Do you remember how old you were when you said to yourself, I, this is what I want to do. I, I, I don't want to just think about being a novelist. I actually, that's what I want to do. Do you remember how old you were? Uh, pretty much. I, um, I was, I was in college. Um, I don't think I was completely thinking I was going to write crime only. I, I was, I got out of college and thought, well, I have a degree in English. Um, right. I'm going to write the great, I'm going to write the great American novel. And what I found surprisingly is that you have to eat, you have to make money <laughs> to eat and drive your car and things so and i didn't realize at that point that you can write a novel and have a day job at the same time right so I out of college for a couple of months i thought i'd write i started write some horribly angsty novel that hopefully i can't ever find and right. then, uh but i always told people i was gonna be a writer even though i wasn't writing i was in the restaurant business kind of fell into that i fell into the golf club business the whole time i'm telling people yeah I, i'm really a writer but i wasn't even writing Really? I lived that guilt. Um, yeah, I lived that guilt for about 30 years, and then I was working for the uh, fourth golf company I had helped put out of business in 10 years. And when I saw the handwriting on the wall, I, when I knew this one was going down. I said, "Well, this is it." I think I was 42 or three at the time. I said, uh -huh. "Excuse me, you either have to write the novel, or you can't talk about it anymore." So wow. I. Uh, wow. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So you're 42, and you say, "Come on, Matt, let's do it." Yeah. And I, I uh, sure enough, the company went out of business. I had a little bit of money saved up, not much. So I took, I think it was about five months to write the first draft of many drafts that would eventually become Yesterday's Echo. And when I 
had it done, I thought, well, I didn't know I didn't know much about the biz, but I knew I had to get an agent, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll uh, get the agent. She'll sell the book. I'll never work a day job again. And I'll buy the house in right. Sequoia. Right. <laughs> but luckily, luckily, a guy I used to work with in the golf business called me. I swear it was probably no more than a week after I'd finished this this first draft. Uh-huh. They thought it was a book. It was really only the first draft. He called me and said, "Hey, we got an opening here." For sales for this, uh, it was a sports collectible company, sports licensing company at the time, called Photoball. Uh-huh. And I, do you, do you want to come over and interview? I thought, well, you know, I am going to be a famous author, but I probably, <laughs> I don't know if that'll be. I'll get the advance in a month or two months, two months or something. So yeah, I'll come over. And, and I worked there for uh, sixteen years, I think, until I quit uh, the end of last year to write full time. Oh, <laughs> hey man. That happened to me at a restaurant where they I was I started in the restaurant and they were like, well after this many years you'll get these benefits and after three years you get this benefit after five years you'll get this benefit and I thought I'm not even gonna listen I'm not gonna be in here and 17 years later I finally left that restaurant so I know that story well I know that story well all right so you were you were uh, you had a little hubris little hubris but that's okay confidence is good and. Uh, but you were. What's amazing to me is that you were walking around telling people you were a writer, and you weren't writing anything. I can't believe you were able to like keep those things alive in your head. But you did. That is a thing, Matt. Well, it uh, it it made. I'll tell you what it did. It made for the guilt I needed to uh, find the character of Rick Cahill. So all that, oh. all that. All that bullshit uh, led up to uh, being able to write Rick Cahill because he deals with guilt a lot. And so maybe that's what I was doing, seeding my guilt. That's right. No, you were. You were. You were researching him without knowing it. <laughs> you were secretly <laughs> researching. Hey, well, that's great. So you, so you, so you, it took you – It took you. well, how long did it take you to find an agent and sell yesterday's Echo once you actually figured out it was done? Like it, how long did it take you to finish it? And then how long did it take you to find an agent and a publisher? Well, like I said, I think I wrote that first draft at the end of the uh, in five or six months. And so, yeah, but that's yeah, but that's I, just yeah, right. So I knew even though I something in me because I am Irish and insecure told me even though this is going to be a bestseller, maybe you should have it vetted. So I took uh, some writing classes taught at the University of San Diego, uh, mm, University yeah. of California San Diego Extension. Took three classes by a woman named Carolyn Wheat, who's won some awards as a mystery writer. She actually still leads the writers group I'm in. So at that point, uh, I realized after being pretty much the only person in any of the classes who'd written that first draft, when my stuff being on the uh, whiteboard every week getting torn apart by this this woman (laughs) who I who I hated but learned to love, um, I realized well I got a lot of revision to do, and I probably revised you know revised sent out um, probably about three or four times of sending out to agents so it took me with what the first draft finished it probably took me uh five or six years to get an agent i would say yeah somewhere in there. yeah 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 boy it's a long haul and and how did you deal with it mentally were you okay we was it very up and down for you do you have just a, are you like a just a nose to the grindstone kind of guy or do you do you ride the the despair dragon sometimes Oh, I'm big in this despair. Absolutely. Um, but I, had, I did that. Yeah. I, I think my career in sales had helped though, because I was used to rejection oh, to get a lot of it right. in sales. So right. yeah, yeah, but it was, uh, it gets pretty, it gets pretty dire. You learn to um, celebrate the, the uh, good rejections. You know, you bring it, yeah. you bring in a rejection to your writer's group and say, 
is rejecting me, but she likes my work, you know. Yeah. Not the right topic, yeah. what have you. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's very difficult. And you do think at some point it's never going to happen. But you just have to keep working at it. And I, the good thing that happened is because, you know, as I, was, as I told you earlier, I told people I was going to be a writer for all this time. That Those five or six months when I actually did write, I wrote every day. I, mm-hmm. At that point in my life, that was the best year of my best six or seven months of my life. I was doing something yeah. that I really loved. And uh, I realized, well, whatever happens, this is what you have to do because this gives you some joy. Oh, see, this is the key. I was just talking to a client about this, uh, and I was stressing, like, you can't – there's a lot of results in fiction writing, in writing, from awards to contracts to letters, rejection letters, and blah, blah, blah. But you must – the present – in the, the present moments where you live, and that's where the pleasure in writing is found – the actual moment of being at the desk. And, and you must let that be the thing that draws you into the career, not the house in La Jolla, you know? And, and it's, it's so critical to remember because even if, because you won all these awards right out of the gate once you finally published it, but still I imagine the writing itself means more than the Anthony award. I would think it would anyway. No, I have to think about that one. That's about a 50 Oh, 50. Uh, <laughs> I mean, actually, the act of you know, writing. I do, right. The, I, I, I love the act of writing pretty much after I'm done with the act of writing. As I'm doing it, I, I sometimes sometimes hate it generally. As I'm reading the book weekly at my writer's group, I think, wow, I don't know how to write anymore. This is this is garbage. Um, oh, I've no. I'm a, really? I'm a fake. Really? Uh, I'm a fraud. I'm, a, I'm that kid who walked around for 30 years telling people he was a writer when he really wasn't. But then after I'm done, I'll read the whole first draft through, and I go, well, you know, it's not that bad. And then I revise and revise. But, um, I mean, there are days where they're really good, but some days uh, I think, well, this is – I don't know how to do this anymore. Right. You feel like you've forgotten. That's what happens. Yeah. It happens. I will will tell you, I wrote a book about that uh, for writers. I'm not recommending it to you, but I I do know that when my mind starts drifting to what other people think of my stuff, when I start thinking about – my agent or, or just readers or how someone else would do it. As soon as I start doing that, it's like, I've forgotten how to write. I just, I, I don't know how to do it anymore. And so I've got, I feel like the writer has to be so disciplined to keep his or her attention just on the story and not drift even a little bit to like, I wonder what my writing group will think. As soon as you th- think that I believe you're, you're screwed until you bring your attention back. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think what I'll think of it, and I think it sucks. So that's uh, oh no. That. Why do you think it's why Why do you think you look at your stuff and think it sucks, and then you're able to look at it at after a draft and say, "Well, it's not so bad." What do you think's going on there? Why do you think in the middle of rereading it you think it sucks when it probably doesn't? Uh, I don't know. You're asking me to think. That's difficult too. I'm sorry, uh, Matt. That's what we do here right. on this show. I didn't think I'd have to. I did not think I'd have to think on the show. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think because you don't read it full out until I'm done with it. So yeah, maybe maybe it takes a while, a while to get a scene done, and maybe you're sick of it by that time. I'm not exactly sure, but I am, uh, I am always surprised when I'm done that hey, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. Well, if it's any it's whatever it's any whatever con- works. If it's any consolation, Matt, I've interviewed a lot of authors, and one of the I interviewed uh, Alice Hoffman. I love Alice Hoffman. She's a kind of a magical realist 
literary kind of novel. She won the Pulitzer, matter of fact. And I liked her yeah. book. I'd never heard of her, but I read this book for the interview. It was called The Third Angel. I loved it. Just loved it. And I went and interviewed her, and she said – I might have said this in the last interview. Well, I can't keep track. I say, told this story before. But she said – when I did the interview, she said, I, I feel like I don't know how to write a book. Every time I start a book, and she's written like 27 or 28 of them, she'll say mm-hmm. – I feel like I don't know how to write a book. And, 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 and always in the middle of every book she's written, she feels like, I don't know if this is going to work out. So I think it's very normal to start because every book, even though you have the same character, every book is still different, right? Every book has an, its own puzzle problems you have to figure out. That makes sense, yeah? Because you're doing something yeah. kind of coming at it new. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. trying to um... – that's the thing about a series character is you don't want to write the same book over and over again. That's something no. I fear because, yeah. because my guy has I- incremental growth in each book. It's not a huge arc for him. It's incremental growth. Right. But right. Uh, uh, yeah, um, it, it is easy for me to get into the character, but how to still make him interesting and not do the same thing, not have the same reaction to certain things. Right. Um, that is a challenge. Yeah. And if someone, let me ask you this. If you were, if you were asked to teach a class, in writing a crime series, what is the advice you would give your eager students about keeping that character fresh? What, 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 what is the thing you have learned? What is that? I don't want to say trick, but what have you learned about how to keep him fresh? I've learned nothing. Um, <laughs> what, here's what I try. Here's what, here's really my only concerns when I'm writing a book. I mean, in the back of my mind is don't, you know, this this may seem similar, so you need to figure it out. But I just try to think. He's a private investigator. He's had a uh, bit of a dark past. He's carrying some guilt from the death of his wife, in, which is in the first book. And whether right. he's responsible for it or not, people can read yesterday's Echo and find out. But So what right. I, as a private investigator, I try to find – I put him in a situation. I have an inciting incident, of course. But I want him right. to be involved in a case where he has emotional connection. And it doesn't right. always show up right away, but so I have to have him emotionally involved. So then he met that that'll keep him from being uh, being able to look at things from a distance while he's right involved in it. it. Not only does it mean something for his client, but it means something to him whether the, the the case is solved or whatever happens throughout it. So I try to have him have skin in the game and just keep him under constant pressure. Uh, right. My my thought, you know, I have. You know, you want change as much as possible. You want constant pressure. And that's always what I think about when I'm uh, dealing with poor Rick Cahill, who's been beat up pretty much in every book. More so even emotionally than physically. He's got scars, but but the emotional ones you can't see, but they're in there. And that they inform the way he he acts. And I do – that is something I – when I – I'm going to pontificate a little bit. That's something that I had in mind when I – first wrote the, I didn't know I thought I wanted to write a series pretty much but I was just hoping to get a book published because that's what I told sure. people I told people as a writer but when I I, I wanted everything you know there's uh, uh, Michael Connelly and Bosch is, uh, every, yep. everyone matters and no one matters for me right. it's every every scar matters and no scar matters if he's both mm-hmm. physically and emotionally so if he's uh, you know if he gets a um, let's see what happened in the, I think I always think in terms of the physical I think of um Jack Nicholson in Chinatown, where he's got yeah. your, uh, uh, the ear, the guy, right? The, the nose. The Polanski he his nose. cuts his ear. His, nose, yeah, nose, exactly. nose. Yeah. Yeah, nose. He's got this big old yeah. bandage on his face, the whole thing. And I'm, yeah, I just want to always keep that in mind, both uh, 
like I said, physically and emotionally. And of course, the yeah. physical thing is throughout each book, but the emotional scars and they carry over. So I, I wanted a guy who, by the time we get to Lost Tomorrows, he's been beaten down so much and done some things. Done some. He's been done some really bad things, but he's right. He's put it, his the, his motto taken from his father before him, who was also a disgraced uh, ex-cop, is um, sometimes you have to do what's right even when the law says it's wrong. And by the time right. he's gotten to Lost Tomorrows, he can no longer – he starts to question his own sense of right and wrong. So I've got him at his emotional um, nadir for sure in this book and because uh, I, I, that's, that's the only way I could write a series. I couldn't write one where you – like you're watching um, – um, some cop show where everything gets solved in the first, you know, in one hour it's solved. There are no scars for the investigators throughout the season. They just solve each right. crime as it comes. Right. For my guy, there's, there's always a, there's always a scar that carries. That's great. And, and, and when did you, how long did it take you to figure out that you, you've got to make sure that he, as you said, I like to saying he's got skin in the game so that it's not just, he's not just trying to do a good thing by solving a crime, but he's, he needed an emotional investment. Did you realize that? while writing yesterday's echo or did you start your next book and realize, Oh, you know what I got to make sure I bring in is that his, what's his interest in it. How did, how long did it take you to figure that out? Yeah, that's a good question. Yesterday's echo. is kind of a, I, I just gave you the backstory about his dead wife. He he was actually right. arrested for, this is all before the first book. He was arrested for her murder. Um, never tried, but never exonerated. In fact, the Santa Barbara police and much of the nation who watched the 48 hours episode on the murder thinks he's the guy who got away with murder. So in the first book, he's got that hanging over his head, and then he also meets a, a woman um, who need, who needs help in that. So he's not even a private investigator; he's managing a restaurant at the time. By the way, I worked in restaurants for ten years. Right, very good, um, very good. So he's got the first one; it's there. He doesn't have to do anything. He's emotionally involved because he becomes emotionally involved with the woman and needs to help her. So boom, he's in it. So the next right. one, you're exactly right. I had to think about if, if he's going to be a private investigator, um, how could I make it? make him have to um, feel, you know, feel involved in the crime beyond, or the case beyond just getting a paycheck. And I, I found a way in for that one, way into that one uh, in Night Tremors. So yeah, it was, in, it was in the second book. I'm writing a way to, yeah, there's gotta be, Oh, I see. Right. And it was just slowly, slowly came together where, yeah, that's how it works for me because the guy, you know, the guy was pre eyed 365 days a year. I'm only going to focus on the one case each year where he's emotionally invested, invested. Right. Right. There would be a bunch of other. Yeah, I mean, the um, Chinatown's a good example of that because he's got this one. Starts off with this one little case he's got, which it's not that. It's just a typical, you know, someone's cheating wife kind of thing, and and right. so that's a kind of a small thing. And and so you figure someone like Rick Cahill, probably a lot of those little things popping up in his life, you can just disregard those. Right, and it's a right. little thing, just like in Chinatown. It's a little no nothing case. It's gonna take a couple of days. And then there's a twist in there that gets him hooked. And that's exactly, yeah. uh, exactly yeah. where I like to write. Yeah. Oh, it's, well, that's so awesome. Well, all right. Well, listen, congratulations that, you know, it's such a great story for all our listeners out there. A lot of them who are in their middle years, probably toiling away, writing at night or in the morning before they work to know to, what a great example. I know you're a humble guy, but that's what you are anyway, uh, uh, Matt, because a lot of people are living that life. So congrats on this uh, finally, you're you're retired now, or from that other work, yeah, and now yeah. writing's your full time thing. That's so cool. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I do miss the paycheck, so. Ah, oh, don't worry, don't worry. You get enough of those books out there, 
they'll just start they'll they'll just they're just like a big snowball rolling and then they'll they'll feed you don't you worry you're going to be fine i but i i'm going to i want to our time is almost up but before i let you go first of all if people want to learn about matt coyle and rick cahill is it mattcoyle.com what's your website if you have a website so uh, somebody actually already has that it's uh, uh mattcoylebooks.com Matt Coyle and, books. Uh, Facebook, yeah. Facebook, I'm Matt Coyle. I just finally started a author page yesterday, I think, or the day before, because <laughs> I, I, I don't want to I don't want to go into why I didn't do it, but uh, but I now have an author page uh, on Facebook, um, author Matt Coyle. Twitter, I'm on there somewhere. I don't really do anything. I can I can uh, retweet stuff, but um, I'm do, I'm on Instagram a little bit, um, which oh, is Coyle right. uh, M Coyle zero forty four. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, people contact me through my website, and I'll, I will definitely talk to anybody. Excellent. MattCoyleBooks.com. Oh, okay. I might as well mention it, too, since we talked about it off air, is that I do have yeah. a podcast, which is on roughly every other Friday, called Crime Corner with Matt Coyle. Excellent. And this is and it's through Blog Talk Radio also, yeah? Or is it through something else? Right. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, to, okay, folks. Yeah, so if you like listening to people talk about books, you got another option. Okay, but before I let you go, so last question. If finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Keep your ass in the chair. <laughs> Keep your ass in the chair. Just do it. Just stay there, and it'll work out eventually. That's good advice. That's, that's good advice. That's, that's all right. That's good. If that's what it taught you, that's what it taught you. Matt, congratulations on book number six. Uh, I, I hope for the best for it for you. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Take it easy. Well, yes. Put your butt in the chair. Put your butt in the chair, people. And once you're there, think of the most interesting thing you can think of and write about it. That's what you do. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you so much. And uh, I think I'll be back again tomorrow, uh, next week. Yes, I will. Until then... Go find something you love and do it. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.